All right, so good to be able to be here together to share this time, you know, today. It's not just any Sunday, it's Palm Sunday. It's the day that we join with millions of people all over the world to start, yes, the celebration of what is known as the Holy Week. The week that leads us into Good Friday and then finally into Easter Sunday, where we mark the ultimate victory of God's love, right? In fact, I'm in my mind, I'm just delighted to be able to say that our focus is the breakthrough of love. That's to me what the cross is really all about, the breakthrough of love. You know, I, I, I mentioned that last week, and if we can think of the sacrifice of Jesus as the breakthrough of love, then we can think of the resurrection of Christ, the empty tomb as the breakthrough of life. And these to me are the two great themes that we should be sitting with most of all. For God so loved the world, you know it, that he gave us his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, um, the fullness of life, the overflowing life, life now and yet to come. These two themes beautifully wrapped in this verse, right? Life and love, love and life the cross and the resurrection. You know, and I really do want to encourage all of us to be extra intentional about creating some time in some special way to, you know, ponder the cross and the depth of God's love for us. I mean, I, I think that's something we need to be, again, contending for. The, the spiritual breakthrough that the Lord wants to work inside of us is uniquely made available at this time, if we would but soften our heart before the Lord and turn our eyes towards him, we will see that God has something unique for us to hear and to be um, experienced. I think part of that is because people all over the world, from every corner of the world, in every great city and in obscure villages, uh, in the east and in the west, in the north and in the south, in places where worship is still relatively free and in other places where the love for Christ must be expressed in hidden ways. But there are so many people turning their hearts and attention towards the love of Christ and, and the cross and the victory of resurrection that there's an accessible blessing that I think is unique at this time. And I, I do want to encourage all of us to take advantage of what um, is sitting right there. And even now, Lord, I, I do pray over this word. I, and I pray over this week, but I, I really ask that you would use this word on this Palm Sunday to, to set the table for what it is you're trying to say to us. And that we would say, Lord, yes, my ears are open towards you. Please um, bring dimensions of life and breakthrough. That is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, John 12.
The next day, verse 12, the large crowd that had come to the feast, the Passover feast in Jerusalem, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And in anticipation of Jesus' entry, it says that there were um, a number of people who took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel, the promised one, Messiah Jesus, right? This was a spectacular moment as people gathered in the great city, the city of David, to honor the Lord on the Passover, the most sacred day uh, in Israel's um, history, reminding them of the great deliverance, of course, and the blood of the lamb put on the doorposts as God delivered them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. It's not a coincidence that Jesus came into the city. He who would be the ultimate lamb of God. For if you recall the opening invitation or acknowledgement on the part of John, John the Baptist was, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But Jesus made his way into the city and it must have been amazing. It was electric <laughs> on what is known as Palm Sunday because they were waving. I know that's not a palm behind me, but it has some resemblance of one. And imagine the people waving palms as they were connecting back with scriptures and prophetic promises, crying out as the streets were lined. Many of the people were believers convinced that Jesus was indeed the promised one. Others were caught up in the euphoria of it all and were willing to jump in. Yes, let him prove himself, but yes, Jesus. And they were crying out as well. And it, for the disciples, it must have been beyond anything they could have imagined. This was what they were hoping for. And now it was happening. It's the reason they had left everything to follow him, right? They knew he was the king. And now to hear others proclaiming him as such, oh, it was fantastic. And I can imagine them just bursting with deep satisfaction and excitement themselves. The joy that they had, they shared. It was palpable and, and um, like I said, electric. But there were other people watching as well. Some of them were ambivalent, others intrigued. Others had very little knowledge of Jesus, but, but clearly there was something going on here and they wanted to know what, what it was about. And of course there were others, uh, the Jerusalem authorities in particular who were displeased, not all of them, but the vast majority, they were threatened. And they saw Jesus not as Messiah, that they had come to the conclusion of whatever power he had, and he had some that they couldn't explain, not all of them. And he may even have said some things from God, but in their mind, he was more of a problem that needed to be dealt with than a prince of peace that needed to be embraced. And they had made a determination that for the sake of the nation, this man must die. And there was already uh, a lot of thought going into how they could get rid of Jesus. And his popularity had made it challenging, for he was popular. But they saw openings, um, and they were looking for more. And of course, they would end up finding one before the week was out <laughs> in a just insidious way. They would find one of his own, none other than Judas, to betray him. But at the time, that avenue was not clear. What they did know is that Rome had given them 
a kind of understanding, an agreement. They had been given tremendous amounts of autonomy and power. They, they were basically told that if you agree to this bargain, we will give you, Roman said, more freedom than we give to most. You can govern yourselves. You can keep your religion uh, in a way that is unique to you with just a very few minor details that we are going to require. One is that you allow the Roman flags to fly. Two, that you pay your taxes. And three, that you remember that authority uh, ultimately of life and death is, is Rome's alone. And so no one can be put to death uh, without Rome's approval. That will explain later on why the, the authorities could not just have Jesus put to death. They needed Rome to agree, go along, and push it through. And that would become, in the final analysis, Pilate's great dilemma. And we all know what he ended up deciding. That said, uh, it was an exciting day, the Palm Sunday, as many celebrated what is known now as the triumphal entry of Jesus. Look at verse 20, though. There's an interesting little detail in the 12th chapter that is included in John's account. It says, it says that now among those who went up to worship at the feast to celebrate the Passover, there were some Greeks. And, you know, they were men of the West, right? If you think about this, uh, they had no doubt, you know, they were there to celebrate Passover, probably believers in the faith of Israel. But Greek by um, locale and ethnicity, most likely that is. And they had heard the buzz and their curiosity was stirred and they wanted to meet this Jesus and, and it had been noted. <laughs> oh, by the way, I think we, some of us are kind of aware of this as well. Think about when the life of Jesus starts when he's born in Bethlehem, who come? And then later, as he begins to grow, who come to honor him but the wise men of the East? And now here at the end, right on the edge of what will be his final days, a group from the West comes, also wanting in their own way to meet Jesus. So you see this beautiful kind of um, coming together, Jesus's birth, visit from wise men in the East ends with an inquiry from men from the West, a reminder that all nations would be drawn to him. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. All peoples will be drawn to me. But these Greeks, these Gentiles, evidently, these came to Philip. Uh, they, they wanted to meet Jesus. They decided that they would ask one of the men that seem to be recognized as representing him, a man named Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they asked him, sir, we wish we could see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. <laughs> and I've always loved this, by the way, that I, I love that. I, I love it as a prayer. <laughs> may that be our prayer. Oh, that we may see Jesus, to see Jesus, to see him more clearly, to love him more dearly. Oh, how good is that, right? And it says that Philip went and he told Andrew and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And I love how that works together, right? Philip, he, he's not sure. So he goes and finds Andrew. Then they decide, let's both of us go and, and talk to Jesus. And I love it. They, they team up. And uh, when we're not sure... Sometimes it's good to go to a brother or sister. Yeah, that's how the kingdom works best, doesn't it? You know, and I, I, and I love the minuteness of the detail. You know, they didn't know 
what Jesus might say to it. And, and what he did say was actually very unlike anything they could have anticipated. I mean, initially, maybe they thought they understood, but then Jesus would go into a direction that left them wondering, what is he getting at here? Um, but again, in our mind's eye, let us imagine them coming and saying, uh, you know, there's, there's some men, they're a delegation of sorts, Jesus. They've, they're from Greece. They're here celebrating Passover and they, they would love to speak to you. Uh, they are men who seek wisdom and they perhaps were already believers in the one true God of Israel. That part we're not quite sure of, but we do know is that Jesus answered them by saying, verse 23, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Now, maybe initially they thought, oh, Jesus is, you know, appreciative of the, the honor, but Jesus was actually saying something far more different. Uh, it's as if he is saying, and if, and if we can use the language that we've been sitting with, the language of breakthrough, now is the hour for breakthrough. That's what I hear Jesus saying. The door is about to open. The bridge for all to cross. The, here it is again, the breakthrough anticipated by the prophets down the centuries and the fulfillment of which began at my coming is about to happen. Yes, it is. The father's song is about to be sung. And I see Jesus, am I, again, just maybe even glancing above and maybe he looks above and he whispers to himself, but the way it will happen will be very different than the way that people think. Yes. The glory is inevitable, but the pathway is suffering. And he alone, he alone knew this. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9 tells us that though he was a son, look at this, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Again, verse, back to verse 23, Jesus answered them. He said, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. But then look what he says. And truly, truly, I say to you, not bring them in to see me. No, no, look what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And as McLaren, the, the great commentator, just de described it, the only way to make grain produce fruit is to bury it in the ground. The trivial request was as a narrow window through which Jesus' yearning spirit saw a great expanse nothing less, less than the coming of myriads of Gentiles, the much fruit of which he immediately speaks. In other words, Jesus saw in this request, the yearning of the Gentiles down through the ages. And then Jesus uttered this statement and we, we almost are caught off guard by it. Like, why does he say it? Whoever, Jesus then says, loses his life. Remember, all this has just started with a question. You know, some men would like to see you. What are you, are you open to it? And Jesus says, whoever loves his life, that is more than the will of God, loses it. 
And whoever hates his life, that is, is willing to surrender and give it up to God's will in this world, will keep it for eternal life. Now, by the way, that is, that is the upside down kingdom of Jesus. Do we see it? Do we see it? This is what Jesus was about to do himself. Surrender his life to give us the overflowing life. The upside down kingdom of Jesus. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, look at this, the father will honor him. And never let us forget that Christ's servant must be Christ's follower. Always. Now is my soul troubled. No. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No. Should I look for an escape hatch to find a way out? No, for, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then again, all of this started with just a question. Andrew and, and, and Philip are there, and they were the ones who had asked it. I don't know who else was there. But all of a sudden, after Jesus' declaration, Father, glorify your name. Bring breakthrough. The voice comes from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there were told, heard it, that it, it had thundered. Um, it clearly wasn't decipherable, but it it seemed powerful. And, and it, some people said, an angel has spoken to, to him, right? And Jesus said this, one more detail. God's word throws in for us. The voice has come for your sake, not mine. <laughs> and now is the judgment of this world. Now. Wow, man, there is so much going on here. Do we see, I mean, do we even catch some of it? And this is layered. Now is the judgment of this world. And now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Again, it all started with a question. It's like, and this is where Jesus goes. It's like what C.S. Lewis wrote in the Chronicles of Narnia. Like Aslan, who is aware that the decisive battle is about to play out. And that the claim of the evil one is about to lose its grip even though it will cost everything. And then Jesus connects right into it. Look what he says. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, right to love, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death, John writes parenthetically on the backside, by what kind of death he was going to die. That's John's way of saying he was speaking about the cross that none of us understood, but he himself had seen already. And the cross will become the vehicle of the breakthrough. Now, some of you, some of us may recall a few weeks back, we were sharing around Joseph and his damaged life. And we said this phrase that the the broken places can become the golden places. The broken places can become the golden places. 
And certainly this is true of Jesus, isn't it? Right? I mean, it will be out of his brokenness that we will live. And by the way, every time we receive communion, and we're going to be doing that together, albeit in a slightly different way, but we're going to be doing it together for those who choose to participate, and I hope that's all of you. I really do. On Good Friday, when we lead that through, when I lead it through, what we are celebrating, yes, that's the right word, and honoring, yes, it is, uh, is the fact that we are living out of his brokenness. The only reason that Good Friday is Good Friday and not Bad Friday is because of the life that comes through the brokenness of Jesus, the breakthrough of his love for you and me. And I thought, you know, Lord, that's also true for us. Um, just as your broken place became our place of saving grace, the broken places, which to me speak of the shameful places of our lives, do you have any? Do we have any? I probably have had a few, have a few. I do. The damaged places, more than a few. The sin-impacted places, no question. And yet because of Jesus, because of Christ, those places, the shameful, damaged, sin-impacted places can become the golden places of life as the grace of God rises to meet us exactly where we need it most. And, and it's because of Jesus. Now, I was thinking about his transforming touch and the way he heals and the way he brings life in the places of brokenness. And I thought, that's just what Jesus does. And that's one of the reasons I love him so much, right? And a few months ago, I remember I was listening to a community chat. You know, our church has been doing that throughout the year at different times, hosted by one of our pastors, Pastor Ahn, and, and Chloe Cahill, our outreach director, also the mother of Micah, the baby. <laughs> <laughs> who makes his appearance frequently at the end of our time together. But they were interviewing in, in one of our community chats back at the very end of November. They were interviewing actually a, a pastor whose name is John Kelly. And, and John was um, representing one of the organizations that our church has committed itself to partnering with in 2021, Prison Fellowship. And I'm really excited and delighted about that. And we will have even more particular ways that our church is going to be able to um, give itself for those who choose to respond or hear that call. But we're going to try to create avenues for more engagement with prison fellowship. And as I listened to him, though, I was going back, I was thinking about this in no at the end of November, I remember listening to him and I was moved. I was, I was really moved. I remember uh, tears actually filling my eyes. I was deeply moved as, as this pastor, John, uh, who ministers out of Chicago, and again, represents Prison Fellowship, which is an amazing organization. It really is. Shared how he had come to know Jesus as his savior and why he is so committed to helping prisoners and uh, their families. And you're going to see that it beautifully connects to what I've just been sharing with. Um, and I want to share a little portion, just a small portion of that chat as he shares a portion of his story. And as you listen, as we listen, listen for the Holy Spirit. And let us be 
reminded again of the transformative love and touch of Christ, okay? So here we go. Life was pretty good as a, as a young kid. I can't complain. And my family was into selling drugs and stuff, um, but I didn't. They kept me pretty, pretty sheltered from that. And uh, life really went downhill for me when I was maybe like eight or nine. And my, uh, my uh, parents, my mom and stepdad divorced. And so when they divorced, like everything changed for me. Um, you know, he wasn't around as much anymore. We moved to a really, um, you know, we was in kind of middle class area in, in West Philly, but we moved to a really just poor, impoverished area. Um, you know, dinner was, you know, a mayonnaise sandwich and sugar water trying to, you know, do whatever you can. And that's when I really started to get into a lot of trouble. And so it was around that age that I actually started selling crack. I started selling crack when I was like 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there. Um, and in and out of crack houses to try and make some money to, to help my mom. She didn't know what I was doing. I would lie and say I found the money. Um, but I ended up, ended up getting arrested. First time I ever got arrested, I was uh, 13 and uh, got convicted of aggravated assault. And so unfortunately, I spent... Um, at least two thirds or three quarters of my life in the criminal justice system. Uh, most of my teenage years was in and out of juvenile detention centers. And so I wasn't home a lot. I mean, I was home, but I was always getting um, locked up or something. And I mean, I really put a lot of stress on my mom. She did the best she could. She was a single mom trying to, you know, go to school and to better herself and work two jobs to take care of her, her kids. It was me and my little sister. But she had a son who was always in jail, always high, always getting shot at or shooting at somebody. Um, I failed the seventh grade because um, I didn't go to school half the year. And then my freshman year of high school, I went to literally uh, four different, no, three different high schools in my freshman year and then got kicked out and I dropped out. And so I dropped out of high school after my freshman year. And um, um, if you could think of a very um, young, angry teen um, that is very reckless and violent, that would be how I was. Um, unfortunately, it didn't change much. Um, went from selling drugs to robbing drug dealers. That's kind of what we started doing in the neighborhood. We would rob different drug dealers. And unfortunately, when I turned 19, um, we went to the home, a group of friends and I, we went to the home of one of the drug dealers in our neighborhood and uh, was robbing his house. And one of my friends shot and killed him. And uh, we all got arrested. And I uh, was 19, sitting in prison. Um, I remember that was my first time in as an adult prison and um, there was so much violence in the city um, of Philly that time that they didn't have any room on the maximum security block. So they, um, so they sent me um, to the solitary confinement was known as the hole. So um, that was my introduction to adult prison. And um, I was in a room probably the size a little twice the size of your bathroom. If you have a standard size bathroom for 23 hours a day, um, no human contact, and you get to come out one hour a day to either make a phone call or take a shower, you're handcuffed and shackled for that hour, then you go back in for 23 hours. They call it 23 in one, 23 hours in your cell, one hour out. Um, I, was in that, I was in that cell and locked down for about a year, year and a half, so I didn't know anything that was going on in the world. Um, but we were all in prison, and um, they were trying to give us all the death penalty. Um, they, they were like, you know... Um, you know, you wanted to kill him over drug turf, which wasn't true. I didn't know that that was going to happen. Um, I did a lot of crime and a lot of wrong, but I didn't, I surely didn't go that night to take a life. And I didn't know my friend was going to shoot him, but still, I'm a still accomplice and I own that. And, um, 
And so we were looking at death penalty of life in prison. And it was my first week in prison when a, a Christian prison guard would walk around and do the cell block checks. And he would talk to me every day. And then, you know, I'm in the hole, I'm in solitary confinement, so I'm bored. And I was like, man, you got anything to read? And he was like, well, I can get you a Bible. And I was like, whatever, just give it to me. And so about two hours later, he came back with um, an NIV Bible, you know, the kind with the New Testament and the Proverbs and the Psalms a little. And, uh, and on the cover, it said, there's hope for you, Jesus cares. And I sat on my, my bed and, and my cell, and I began reading in the Gospel of Matthew. And I don't know how long it took me, but I read all the way up to Hebrews. I believe it's chapter 3 or 4 where it says, um, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And uh, right there in the cell, I gave my life to the Lord and haven't been the same since. So a couple of things. If you want to listen to the entire chat and be inspired, well, we've posted it on the website, and, and you can do that at any time you want to. Uh, but did you also hear that there was a person that God used? I noted it. It was the guard who gave John the New Testament. I, uh, and, you know, and, and a few months ago, I asked John about that guard. I said, John, have you ever had a chance to, to, to build any kind of a relationship with him? And he said, you know, I never really got to know him. I never really got to know him. And, and then John said to me, and he probably has no idea because I, I don't recall seeing him again. He says, I probably, you know, after some time had passed, he probably has no idea of how, of how God used him to affect so many people, uh, right? How could that guard have known that the simple compassionate act of giving him a Bible, and it wasn't even a full Bible, it was just the New Testament and the Psalms and the Proverbs, right? With a little reminder of how much someone is loved. And all it was, was that invite, that, that giving of the gift, the giving of the scripture that changed a man's life and that ended up affecting so many lives. You know, I think we understand this, but the gospel's impact, it, it should never be underestimated. It is like the seed that when it's harvested into the ground, it can bring forth uh, a, a harvest 30, 60, and 100 fold. I mean, certainly that is what Jesus did when he fell into the ground broken. And out of his brokenness, out of his death comes the harvest of life. You know, it's the message of, of, of the gospel, the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is, is powerful, it's simple, it's unpredictable and untamable. It's, it's the greatest thing in all the world, and it's why we are committed to it, and why when you have the Lord in your life, you have the pearl of great price, whereby the acquisition of which, <laughs> you, you, if, you were, if you think about it, as Jesus taught us, you would sell everything else to possess it, for it is the one truly great thing in life. And, and I'm reminded of that, how blessed we are, how truly wealthy we are if we know the Lord. And then that is not meant to be kept within, but to be spread abroad. Uh, that's what we've been called to do to share his love and life wherever we go, because we are people of the breakthrough. And we're all part of an eternal story, aren't we? <laughs> the center of which is Christ Jesus, who loved himself and gave himself for us. For we are, as the scripture reminds us, his workmanship. Uh, yes, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hmm. Ah, so what we're going to do right now, you guys, is um, 
I'm going to take a little shift here and, and share a song. I'm going to have a little, well, this is the time when I get to remind everybody about our giving. I mean, I, I've been saying this now week in and week out that it, it can almost sound like I'm just continuing to praise you, but the church has been remarkable through all of the ups and downs of what we've been walking through. We've made this journey together since, you know, especially during this particular unique trial of, of national travail that began for us in March of 2020. And we're still working through, but you've been an amazing church. You have, you have been remarkable. You have been beautiful. You have given faithfully unto God. And I do want to remind everyone that you can continue to do that. You, know, you can send it in to the offices. We talk about this all the time. You know, you can send it in the more traditional way. You can, you can give on your app. That's what I do. Or you can go directly to our website, whatever, whatever it is that, that works best for you. But the key is always to give our heart. But, uh, I do have one more thought, um, in addition to a final blessing that I want to share and it's connected to something about brokenness. So we're going to come back to that, but right now, Lord, I just ask that you would bless this song that we offer in your name and we're going to come back around and uh, share some closing minutes together. So be with us right now in Jesus' name. Yeah. Never gave up on me. You 
never gave up on me But you were my testimony Oh You never gave up on me You never gave up on me This is our rescue story, isn't it? <laughs> the Lord, we are so loved. You know, I keep thinking about how God restores and how God heals and how God transforms through his touch and how he takes the broken things and brings life and makes them beautiful. And, you know, I remember reading about how in Japan, um, you know, valued objects are sometimes repaired with gold and and when they're broken, right? And I've, I've always loved this. I think it's just an amazing illustration, but frequently when something of value is broken, uh, what they would do is they would would feel, fill it with, with gold. The broken cracks, the broken places would be touched and filled with gold and they say it, it would only add a story to the piece. So the piece became even more valuable because the broken places had been filled with gold. You see that? And they said it created a unique beauty like no other. I can honestly, I, 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 I can think of no better uh, way of describing what God's grace uh, does in a life of a believing man or woman uh, no better way of describing what happens when we surrender in our place of brokenness to his love. And maybe that's where some of you may find yourself right now. And if you've never uh, allowed uh, the Lord into those broken places and spaces, I would just encourage you to do that right now. In fact, if you've never welcomed him into your life, and maybe this is the first time you've even really considered it, I would just say, say, Jesus, come into my life and turn my broken places into your golden places, right? And uh, there might be others of us that we might be going, Lord, we really need your touch right now because we just feel broken and we need you to do something to help us here. And this week, we're just open. We're open, Lord, we're so open. And if, if we can let him fill that place with, with the gold, our actually life becomes a story of the master's touch. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We become part of the exquisite beauty that is unique only to that one piece because there's no one like you in the Lord, no one. And the broken places can actually become the grace spaces, right? 
That's what we talk about. Because that's what God did for his world, this world, through his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that's what he wills to do in us. The broken places can become the golden places. Oh, I'm thankful for that, Lord. You're so good. You're so God. And you want us to so good and you want us to so God. So may he keep you spirit, soul, and body. And let's have an amazing week as we ponder the relentless love of our Savior. Lead us to the cross, Lord. Our eyes are upon you. Be blessed this day, my friends, brothers and sisters, in Jesus' name.